In the early hours of the morning of November 25, 1956, there was unusual activity at the small port town of Tuxpan, one of the few settlements situated between Veracruz and Ciudad Madero on the long-sweeping arc of Mexico's eastern coast. Soaked by a wind-blown drizzle that foretold an approaching storm, a small group of men were busily carting biscuits, water, and medical supplies up a precarious gangplank to a small pleasure craft tied up alongside the river that flowed down into the port. Two attractive young women gave a hand as Hershey bars, oranges, and a couple of hams were stowed among the rifles, ammunition, and anti-tank guns already on board. Overseeing these last-minute preparations was the six-foot-two figure of the Cuban lawyer Fidel Castro, one of that country's most promising basketball players in a life that could have been. A largely unsuccessful practitioner of law turned politician and now amnestied revolutionary in the life that increasingly was. Everything he had worked for since walking out of Jesuit school in Havana, his gangster days, his enrollment in armed operations, his months of solitude in prison and, more recently, the long nights of clandestine preparations in exile, all were staked on the success of the next few hours. Standing nearby in the darkness was the much leaner figure of the Argentine doctor Ernesto Guevara, until then a somewhat reluctant medic and scientific researcher who was at heart a wanderer and a poet. He too stood that night on the brink of a new period in his life, one from which there would be no return, but which he had sought, perhaps without quite knowing it, all his life. The two men did not speak as the silent mobilization got underway. More than a hundred other men had been summoned to Tuxpan. Many had arrived in ones and twos from the various safe houses and sparsely furnished backstreet hotels in which they had been lodged since the group's release from prison a few months earlier. Guevara himself arrived in an old Ford Pontiac. Its tires crunched over the loose dirt of the road as someone wheeled it off to be hidden. Some of the men around him embraced each other silently in the dark but nobody spoke. Like men on a prison break, their task for the moment was simply to lie low, keeping out of sight in the small warehouse next to where the boat was being loaded. Castro, the mastermind of the whole operation, was among the few men standing outside in the rain. He wore a black cape, and his Thompson submachine gun rested across his thighs. He looked concerned and kept glancing at his watch. Not all of his men had yet arrived, and despite having continually shuttled them from one safe house to another, he was fearful the Mexican police might have been alerted to his plans. He had reason to fear more than just them. In the last few months, his group had been tracked by Cuba's notorious SIM agents, the Military Intelligence Service, Servicio de Inteligencia Militar, as well as Mexico's own federal security forces and the United States Federal Bureau of Investigation. The security services of all three countries had watched the activities of Castro's group closely since Fidel had publicly declared his intention to overthrow the Cuban regime led by Batista. Their fears had only been heightened when the group was temporarily detained in a sting operation, and the secret ranch where these men had been training was uncovered. Fidel had managed to secure their release, but the communist credentials of one Dr. Ernesto Guevara had been splashed all across the Mexican newspapers by editors who caught, among the growing Cold War tensions of the country, the unmistakable scent of a good scandal. Fidel had chosen their point of departure with these recent events in mind. 
Tuxpan was a desolate place, a small port hopefully poised at the mouth of a river. Here, neither customs house nor immigration controls existed, allowing the would-be revolutionaries a degree or two of freedom in their preparations. For now, at least, they were also aided by the weather. The previous day had been one of the stormiest of the year, and that night everything in the half-lit town receded even further into the darkness.